Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm Treacherous Tristan. And we're joined by Terry Samundra, director of Kali Kui, uh, streaming now on Netflix. And it's very cool to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. So for people who don't know yet, could you give them an idea of what the movie's about? Sure. Um, so um, it is a uh, ghost story, like a you know grounded um, ghost story. It takes place in rural Punjab in a village, and um, it's about a young girl who um, goes back to her family's village when her grandmother gets sick, and uh, when she goes there, just you know, a lot of unnatural occurrences start to unravel, and basically she finds herself at the crux of. Um, this brutal family history and um, the village is being haunted again. And she's basically called to um, save her village and ultimately, you know, kind of free the ghosts of her, um, her family's uh, horrific past. It's interesting to watch a ghost story, you know, from a, from a different culture than I'm used to. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of similarities, but there's also differences. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I didn't set out to make, um, I didn't intend to make something universal just for it to be universal. Mm -hmm. It's actually very specific and it's actually a very personal story. And I'm also drawing from, you know, uh, Punjabi lineage of folklore and storytelling. My mom's a Punjabi poet and writer. And so it definitely has this, um, very kind of specific cultural nuance, but you know, nobody's making, uh, nobody's making ghost or horror films there. So it's in many ways, it's I new. In about that that. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know like, uh, in India, if they make a lot of horror movies or if people, you know, watch them. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I don't think there's a lot of horror films being made in India. If very many at all, um, I've watched a couple of them. They're very different than what I'm interested in. You know, the kind of horror that I like, um, I, uh, you know, love like Jennifer Kent's Babadook and I love the wailing. I watch a lot of Korean horror. I guess what would, you know, I, I hate the term grounded horror, but, um, you know, horror is such a large umbrella, right? And there's so many different people working in genre, like, you know, I have friends that kind of work in maybe horror adjacent work, you know, which is more like Lynchian or, 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 or atmospheric. And so, you know, my film is very surreal. It's very atmospheric. There's no, you know, it's not a creature feature. It's not a slasher film, but, um, it's a, it's a ghost story and it definitely has some jump scares and, you know, it falls within that horror category. I think that, um, for cultures where there's not a lot of horror, I think the expectations sometimes are like, you know, are you making the conjuring? What is it you're making? Because there's not as much, there's just not as much, you know, to access. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned like in Korean uh, horror and this, you know, obviously your movie is made in India. Um, it seems like uh, the last few years, I think with the, with the rise of the streaming sites, it, it is uh, people can see, you know, films from other parts of the country more easily uh, even if you mm-hmm. said you didn't try to make a universal movie, but other other people can see these movies. So you know, the fact that they can see them, but you're not making uni- uh, universally a movie for a universal audience. Um, do you still think people can you know watch it and, and appreciate it? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I um, you know when I was like 19, I was 
you know, my boyfriend worked at a, at the indie uh, video store. So we had access to everything. So it was like before streaming, you know, and I was like a, you know, comic book and film geek. So I was already interested in all that stuff and seeking out that stuff. And there's definitely people all over the world who are. And I think that's actually what's very exciting uh, to have something like this on Netflix because, you know, I come from, you know, my short films are festival films. I come from this kind of niche world where your films are playing in the festival, they're doing the festival route, and you're in this, you're in a smaller cinephile world, which of course I love, but to have, you know, and in a sense that can be very limiting, especially right now, you know, theaters are pretty much closed. If there is a festival, it's online. So to have a film like this, which is, you know, it's surreal, it's feminist, it's Punjabi. I mean, there's all these things that normally people wouldn't have access to. Um, and to have it basically launch globally is super exciting for me. And, you know, I have friends in Japan who have watched it, friends, you know, in Panama. And this is, you know, it's been interesting. The response from Central and South America has been really interesting because I think that there's definitely um, a connection uh, culturally to the story. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love that it's accessible to, to whoever wants to watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, Tristan, do you have a question? I'm wondering uh, which filmmakers inspire you? Which filmmakers? <coughs> Well, you know, um, uh, so many filmmakers inspire me. Uh, I'm constantly on the search for uh, uh, women, uh, women of color, black women, women working in genre in different uh, spaces. You know, um, like uh, Tigers Are Not Afraid is a wonderful film. Yeah, um, it is I'm, a, that is a great movie. I had the director yeah, on a couple times. Yeah, I Am Not a Witch is one of my favorite films. You know, Jennifer Kent's work. Um, I'm constantly looking for, um, especially women filmmakers within the genre space that are not necessarily easily accessible. So I think those women uh, and filmmakers inspire me. I'm also, you know, interested in Afrofuturism and, um, you know, a lot of TV is inspiring. I, I loved watching, um, I loved watching, uh, of course, um, Watchmen, you know, that was, that was amazing just to have that, uh, comic world, uh, which is, you know, for me, I love indie comics. I love, um, uh, you know, image comics. So I know that there's a bunch of things that they're developing, like Amazon's developing paper girls. Um, so I'm super excited to see that. I also think Misha Green is a uh, amazing showrunner, and um, I really liked Lovecraft Country. I thought it was really fun to watch, and I was always excited to see what they were doing. And and of course, everything that Monkey Paw is doing is uh, all the stuff that I'm interested in. They're doing, you know, it's at the end of the day, even though it has that social. Um, issue uh, uh you know core to it it's uh it's fun and it's good storytelling so story first and you know everybody there is doing some really awesome stuff oh that's the best part of well one of the best parts about uh genre films or stories and you mentioned you know comic books stuff with watchmen 
and you know kind of science fiction stuff and horror is uh you can talk about something socially relevant you know within a story and people are still going to watch it and you know maybe not watch it for that reason but they might you know learn something while they're you're seeking out a horror movie yeah and i also think it gives you this really um free and liberating space to explore things without having to disseminate information um, just in this literal way, because I, you know, I don't think that humans work like that. I certainly don't work like that. And using horror and genre, you're uh, allowed to play and explore and be free and use cinematic language, you know, which, which uh, you don't necessarily get to do in other spaces, whether that's with, you know, your characters or your visuals or whatever sort of kind of nightmarish world that you're building and, um, you know, also, I, I'm always interested in the darker undercurrent of the human experience. So it's just, I just, it's such a fun space to explore. Much more, I think, than in other, in other cinema. Um, would, would that be, could you have talked about the subject in, a, in India if you just did a straight, uh, like a dramatic movie? Oh, for sure. And I think that uh, many people hope that I had done that. You know, they wanted like a, you know, I'm, I'm sure people would love a family drama about that or a documentary. And certainly that can be done and it should be done because I think it's an important subject. But, <clears throat> excuse me. I was not interested in doing that. That's not, you know, it wouldn't be true to my core as an artist. It's also just not how I, I think, you know, the, the film is what we intended to make. That is, that is how I think about the story. And, um, and you know, it comes from ghost stories that I was told as a child in my village. You know, I knew which houses were haunted. And, uh, you know, it also comes from personal family history. So I'm, you know, tapping into, um, you know, kind of exploring uh, family lineage and trauma also, you know, gender violence, obviously, patriarchy. And I could have certainly made something which just gave you a whole bunch of information. But what my intention was to create an experience um, and a journey for you to follow with this young girl, Shivangi, who's our protagonist. That, you know, I think that's the power of cinema and, and you know, why I'm, I, I work in it and why I also enjoy it as an audience member. Was that a hard role to cast uh, for Shivangi? You know, it's a really tough role, but we just lucked out. So we did a test shoot a year previous to when, well, almost a year previous to when we went into production and we worked with the same young actor, uh, Riva Aurora, who's just so insane and phenomenal. And, you know, she knew what she was up to. Like we, you know, we were shooting in a tiny little village, um, creating this atmospheric world with rain and darkness, um, the surreal space. But actually, in actuality, we shot in uh, the high summer of Punjab, where the days are 110, 120 degrees. And in this teeny tiny little village on the border of Punjab and Pakistan and um and half of our production days were night shoots. And so that's a lot to ask of a child. You know, she carries the film. She is our uh, lead. And then there's other kids in the film. And 
they just, you know, and also they had the support of their parents and our cast and crew. And it was, you know, we built this family. My daughter also, you know, uh, came with me to make the film. It was a, a family affair. I wrote, you know, my, my husband and I were um, collaborators and co-writers. So he and I would script together. He's my primary um, screenwriting partner. And, um, and then we took our daughter. So, you know, behind the scenes, it was, there's a lot of family kid things going on, which is interesting. I trust you have another question. Watching the film, I was struck by the beauty of India. I'm wondering if you get to visit there often. Um, yes, I do. Um, so, you know, the thing about, uh, the thing about the aesthetics of the film, it was very uh, specific in the, in our intention of the way that we wanted to shoot it because usually in Punjab, in particular, also in India, but in Punjab, everything is always shown either from an outside perspective or even an inside perspective, uh, as very kind of yellow, orange, bright, colorful. And in many ways, yes, that is true to the landscape, but, you know, my experience of the village was always this, you know, I, I think also with my vivid imagination, it was always this kind of dark and eerie space, especially at night, you know, around my, um, you know, my masi, uh, my aunt, she cooks on a chula, which is an outside stove. And of course we have a kitchen, but she prefers that. And then you sit around the chula and all of the women would tell ghost stories. And it was their way, of course, of passing on stories. And as I got older, you know, I started to kind of, you know, take apart those ghost stories and you're like, Oh, that's actually a real thing that happened in my, in my family or to the woman next door, you know, like th there's this house next to our house. And I started to realize as I got older, the stories that were told around the fire at night, these were actually things that happened. And so I wanted to, you know, I was gleaning from that well. And then also the, the aesthetics and visuals were intentional because, you know, um, India is really not shown in this kind of fairy tale, darker, colder, blue, uh, aesthetic. And so it's actually quite different. And yeah, India is, is so beautiful. It's so cinematic and, um, and the film is a really beautiful film. I worked with an incredible cinematographer who uh, is is really interesting because he actually doesn't like to work with practical lights. So we hardly had any practical lights, which is crazy. Yeah, in my notes, that I, the lighting to me is great because you mentioned the fire and it really captures um, you know the faces of, of the women. And uh, even just there's a lot of sparse lighting. So it's like, you know, you could tell that it would be lighting that should be there as opposed to like, you know, you could tell that it's lit up just so you could see something and really where would this light be? But in all the scenes, it yeah. looks like it would be lighting that would actually be in the area. Oh, totally. Yeah. He would always say that to me. He's like, so where would the light come from? And I was like, Sigil, this is a film. He's like, no, we need to address that question. Like he considers himself anti-lighting and, you know, most cinematographers are always, you know, you always think of cinematography, it's like, you know, the lighting, the gaffing, and of course, lighting is so important to him, but his lighting, he actually calls it anti-lighting, which is a, was a really fun and different approach to 
to generate yeah, really when it worked comes for to me. shot. One of the one of the, like I said, I wrote in my notes because it really uh, it really was a highlight of the movie for me. It adds a lot, you know, to the ambience of the film. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you said it was uh, your husband that you you co-wrote the movie with. Mm-hmm. So how long have you? Which came first, I guess, uh, the marriage or uh, working together <laughs> in uh, in spring? <laughs> well, we actually met working on a film. He's a cinematographer, so I think it was just a natural evolution from there. Um, and you know, I mean, like for example, right now with the pandemic, and you know, you just. And also just working in film, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, nothing happens until the film is released. Nothing is certain. But the one thing that you can control is you can write. And so that is really our place of creative liberation, I guess. You know, we can write. Like, you know, we're always developing and kind of setting deadlines to write. And if I can get in a couple of pages every day that's nice and it's fun to live in a house with you know your collaborator and co-parent I mean it's also nutty it's crazy because we're not inhibited you know I have had other creative collaborators and I do love working with other collaborators I mean you know uh, film and screenwriting is a collaborative process but with the both of us it's like we will just you know go to task about a character or a storyline and we'll fight it out. And it's, but it's good because we're very honest. You don't have to hold back. Like if, you know, I think if he thinks I have a stupid idea, or I think he does, I'll just say it like, listen, this isn't working, you know, whereas like maybe with somebody else, you have to kind of like, you know, use a, be culture, be, be appropriate and be kind, you know, we yeah. And, and we respect each other. We've been doing it for a while now where it's like, we know, we know the, the end goal and what's, what we're getting, you know, we've, we've gone through the process enough to where when you're in that dark tunnel or you're in the weeds, you know, you're going to find your way out eventually. Now you mentioned uh, festivals and doing shorts before. Uh, did Kali play any festivals before going to Netflix? No, you know, it didn't actually because it's a Netflix original. So they, um, you know, it's a little tricky. Like sometimes they'll have something that's branded as an original, but it's an acquisition. Right. So this, it. yeah, yeah, no, totally. So with this project, actually, they greenlit it from the script stage. So there really wasn't an intention to go to a festival. I mean, I think certainly um, it's a... It's, it's an art housey, you know, festival film. And we could have done that, but, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So it's like the best thing to do is to get your film out there and you can, you couldn't find a better place than Netflix right yeah. now. Yes. Uh, Tristan, another question. You've made several short films and I'm wondering if those are available for people to watch online. Um, they are, yeah. I mean, you could just go to my website, and I think it goes directly to my Vimeo. They're all, you know, and uh, those were all films that I made super guerrilla style. That's generally my style of filmmaking. So this was also an interesting experience for me because, you know, I come from this really kind of like DIY punk rock world where you're like, you just get like three or four people together and you make your film. Like my last film well two films in India but, but a short film that I made in India I mean it was literally like my aunt is in it it's my family's house 
you know, Walter was the DP, the kids. I mean, it's my entire family in my village. It's all practicals. We just like, you know, did a guerrilla style. So this has been a super interesting experience. I mean, again, it's, it was, it was low budget. It's not like, you know, we were, you know, high on the hog or anything, but, um, certainly a different experience working with a studio, but, but Netflix is a little different. They gave me a lot of creative freedom. They gave me and my, my team and the producers a lot of creative freedom. You mentioned being a comic book nerd. I was just wondering if, if you do have a dream comic book that you would like to make into a movie that's not been done before. Um, well, you know, I always loved Paper Girls, and now Paper Girls is being developed by Amazon. Um, there is a comic book uh, right now that's being developed by a company that I love and adore, um, and it would be really fun to be a writer. It hasn't gone into the writer's room and possibly direct um, I love Monstrous. I don't know how Monstrous would be developed. And of course, you know, I keep hearing rumors about Saga being developed, which uh, also makes me nervous. But if it was developed, I think it'd be really fun to direct on it. Um, yeah, those are those are my favorites. I mean, Monstrous is, you know, one of my favorite comics. I'm trying to think what else, you know, I just everything that Image is doing is is amazing. And they're always coming out with really cool stuff. I have a couple of things that are possible um, development things. And then, uh, you know, things to look at for adaptation. I have a series which is, um, in essence, uh, is in essence is a graphic novel that we've developed into a, an episodic series. So that's really the dream project. We'll see. Nothing is anything until it's... Right, right. So it's time. So, yeah, I have a lot of things like that. But yeah. Yeah. So uh, Kali Kui is uh, on Netflix right now. And uh, it's very cool to talk to you. And uh, how can people f- follow the film and you to see uh, what you're up to next? Um, well, they can follow me. Well, first go to Netflix. And even if, you know, you don't have time to watch it, put it in your queue. So it reminds you to watch it. Um, and then, of course, they can follow me on social media. Um, sometimes I'm more active on there. Than not, but I try to always keep my stuff. And then, of course, it's like, you know, I love uh, following and interacting with other artists and writers and filmmakers. So, um, you know, uh, it's not just, you know, following what I'm doing, but I want to know what other people are doing. And of course, I have recommendations for films that I may not know about. Oh, interesting. All right. That's very good. I always like that. It's been great to talk with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, take care, guys. Yeah, bye. bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice to meet you as well. Bye, Kim. Nice to meet you guys. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. Hey. <laughs> Evening. John Dugan. Your old grandpa from Texas Chainsaw Massacre here. I want to talk to you about something. Or fall off the porch. <laughs> um, I have, um, I'm an old guy. I have voted in, uh, every election in the last 48 years. So it's like, what, 12 presidential elections. And, uh, my first one was very important. It was Nixon against McGovern. And of course, Nixon won. 
and uh, he won again, and then he was uh, shamed and run out of office and whatnot, you know. And then, and it was a very important election. And then when when uh, uh, Reagan ran, very important. I thought the most important election of my life was to vote in that election. And of course, he won. Yeah, and he, uh, God knows how many people were indicted in his administration, and he pretty much, uh, architected, uh, he was the architect of the destruction of the middle class. And then there was, uh, a couple others. There was Bush, who was just kind of a benign asshole, but he was also the former head of the CIA, so, you know, we elected, though I didn't. But uh, the the public elected a professional liar <laughs> as president. Who the fuck <laughs> would elect the head of the CIA to president? And then, anyway, what I'm trying to say is a lot of these elections I voted in have been very, very important. You know, and, uh, you know, the kind of thing that changed the course of uh, American history and the history of the world. And now, after... 48, you know, in the 48th year that I'm voting for president, this is by far the most important election of my life since I've been of voting age. So I just want to urge you all to get out there and vote. Get out there and vote. And I'm also going to tell you, if you don't vote, and you don't like the way it turned out, whichever way, I better not hear a fucking peep out of you for the next four years about how the government's fucked up. Not one single word. Love y'all. Peace. Mask up. Keep your distance. Stay home if you can. And just be safe. From ancient terrors to the search for modern day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're